You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for June 21st, 2020, the third Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21, and Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 39. You might have noticed that today's readings brought to us by the lectionary to which we are bound are not exactly Father's Day friendly. So before we dive in, let me take a moment to say Happy Father's Day to all of the dads and father figures out there, especially to my own dad, who just might be streaming from Colorado this morning. I love you, Dad. And to my good friend John, who only just became a dad last week. And to our beloved father, Peter, who is sitting right here. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Now on to our texts. First, we have a story about Father Abraham, the patriarch of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, who has gotten himself all mixed up in a love triangle with his wife, Sarah, and their housemaid, Hagar, and a son born by each of them. The situation is worthy of a seamy B-movie. And then we have a gospel according to Matthew, in which Jesus literally says he has come to set a man against his father. By this, I believe Jesus means that to follow him comes at a great cost. Sometimes it costs us even our family traditions and loyalties to be true to the way of love that Jesus taught and lived and died for because it threatened to upend the established order and still threatens to upend the established order. So let me say right up front that when we refer to the God of our fathers, as we will hear in our final hymn sung by our Father's Day chorus. Let it be a shorthand title for the merciful, compassionate God of our imperfect fathers, the loving God of our flawed or forgotten mothers, and the forgiving God of the damage we do to our own and to others' lives. Here is something I admire about the Jewish tradition. The Hebrew editors and writers of the portion of the Bible we call the Old Testament leave in the people's messes, their moral ambiguities, their glaring hypocrisies, their betrayals, their deceptions. And sometimes they even allow for conflicting accounts of the same story. For the ancient Bible scribes, as for present-day rabbis, there is no shame in telling it like it is about a flawed, blind, and sometimes downright rebellious people in relationship with the God who made them in God's own image. That's sort of the point of including our vices along with our virtues in our sacred storytelling. It affirms what we suspect, that we are no better and no worse than our forebears. Humanity has always struggled to get things right, just as we do now. And in the struggle, we are capable of both small and large mistakes, some very costly and devastating to entire populations or generations of people. But God never gave up on our ancestors, and God will not give up on us. Moreover, God always sees and hears the victims of our misdeeds and atrocities. God always sees and hears those who are alone, in crisis and in pain. Hagar, in our reading today, is an icon for everyone caught in the crisis of injustice and abuse. She's an icon for anyone marginalized and ignored. And she is also an archetype for the pain caused by systemic injustices, 
like the ones we are beginning to reckon with in our world today. Years ago, I met a woman named Alicia Jo Rabins, who had just completed her master's degree in women's studies at the Jewish Theological Seminary. She's a musician, and for her master's thesis, she wrote songs based on her research in lieu of a traditional written paper. Her project mined the challenging and complicated lives of biblical women, many of whom lived stories too tragic to be taught in children's Sunday school, which is why most people never hear of them. There is Tamar and Judith, Jephthah's daughter, and Samson's nameless first wife. These women's lives are high-drama tales of tragedy and courage, lies and love, abuse and sacrifice, resilience, and very often a faithfulness that rivals that of any of the Bible's patriarchs who take center stage. So the final product of Rabin's master's thesis was a recorded CD with 10 songs, each about a woman from the Hebrew Bible, what we Christians call the Old Testament. She gave her album a pitch-perfect title, Girls in Trouble. Hagar is one of the Bible's A-list girls in trouble. Today, I could cast her as an original essential worker. COVID-19 has brought us into greater awareness of the thousands of people who work the jobs we depend upon for our own well-being and day-to-day needs, and how so many of these workers, essential as they are to our lives, have gone unseen and unheard, underprotected and underpaid for so long. Hagar was an Egyptian and a slave woman in Abraham and Sarah's house. Neither of them referred to Hagar by name, but only as the slave woman. Part of the backstory to today's scene is found in Genesis 16, where Sarah had grown desperate for the child God promised to her and Abraham years before and still had not come. Sarah had the power to put her slave woman up to the task of having a child for her with Abraham. This kind of forced surrogacy was a common practice in the ancient Near East as one way to perpetuate a family's lineage. But when Hagar does become pregnant, she begins to forget her place, as the story goes, and she no longer acts like a slave, seeing as now she's having the master's child. And even though Sarah orchestrated this situation, she becomes bitter and jealous and can no longer stand the sight of Hagar. So Sarah mistreats and abuses her, and Hagar runs away. Out in the wilderness, with nowhere really to run to, Hagar cries out to God, who readily answers her call. God gives her the exact same promise that Abraham received, that her son's offspring would become a great nation. Hagar does what no one else in the Old Testament does or is allowed to do, which is to give God a name. She calls God El Roy, which means God sees me. And though Abraham and Sarah never call Hagar by her name, once she's in the wilderness, out from under their control, her humanity can unfurl and breathe and she is both heard and seen by God, who speaks directly to her and notably addresses her by her name. Fast forward to today's reading. Hagar had gone back to the house according to God's command and had her child there, and the baby was named Ishmael, 
which means God hears me, and he grows up in the house. They are the ancient version of one big, not-so-happy modern family. By the time Ishmael is 12 or 13, Sarah finally gives birth to her own son, Isaac. Before long, Sarah is once again enraged again by Hagar's and Ishmael's presence in the house, and she banishes them with Abraham's consent. Hagar is sent wandering as a refugee for a second time. With no place to go and precious little bread and water for their journey to nowhere, and watching the life drain slowly out of her starving, dehydrated child, this girl in trouble comes to the end of her rope. Hagar cries out to God, who again responds to her by name, and reminds her of the promise she was given that God would bring a great nation out of Ishmael's line. God sees her again and consoles her and gives her hope. As the angelic messengers of God say so often in the Bible to those in crisis, this one says to Hagar, do not be afraid. God has heard the cry of her child, which for a mother is the same as God hearing her own cry. And in that comfort, in that reassurance that God is with her, Hagar's eyes are opened. Suddenly, she has the eyes to see the well of water. Hope has come to her. In God's comfort is her rejuvenation. In God's companionship is her strength and courage to get up and to make her way forward, knowing, in fact, she is not alone, even when the whole world has abandoned her. Our country is in turmoil. The confluence of events so far in 2020 has engulfed us in crisis and confronted us undeniably with the cost of our collective and centuries-old sin of racism. In this tumultuous time, we are just beginning to recognize the ways in which our criminal justice, economic, education, electoral, and healthcare systems have been short-shrifting the vast majority of people of color and the working poor. As a result, the valuable lives and talents of these millions of people are too often squandered as they must spend them living in fear and struggling merely to make ends meet. Hagar's story brings to light that God sees and hears. There has never been a time when God hasn't seen and heard the oppressed, the fearful, the anguished, the lonely, the angry, the grieving, the depressed, the isolated. Hagar's story represents both her own anguish as a mother cast out with her son and left to die, and also the anguish of an entire population living under the weight of systemic oppression. Ironically, Hagar's story foreshadows even the story of the Hebrew people, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah who mistreated and oppressed her. Her story becomes their story when their people become enslaved in Egypt just a few generations later. And they cry out to God for deliverance, and God hears them. God has always heard the cries of the enslaved and seen their suffering. An entire genre of gospel music created by southern slaves tells that story to be true. But God seeing and God hearing has never been enough. 
God heard the cry of the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, but that was not enough. God needed Moses to actually go there to liberate the Israelites from the hard-hearted Pharaoh. Many are saying and many are hoping that this is a watershed moment in our nation as we are beginning to see and hear the cries of the oppressed in a way we have never seen or heard before. Maybe, at long last, we will realize that seeing and hearing is simply not enough to deliver us from the evil we have tolerated for so long. We are co-creators with God, collaborators in the repair of the world. To see and hear what God sees and hears is just the start. The next step is to act. We are sent to be the hands and feet and heart of God in the world, to live on behalf of those who suffer, to think twice about our choices and our decisions and how they will impact others' lives and not just our own. As Christians, we proclaim the good news of God who sees us all and even counts the hairs on our heads. We are each one so valuable to God. The good news Jesus proclaimed of relief to the poor of release to the captive, bread for the hungry, relief to the blind, must be good news for everyone of every color, or it is not good news. Especially now, as the cries for justice are undeniable. The stories of pain and struggle of our black and brown brothers and sisters are laid bare before our eyes. We do have to see and hear, for what cannot be faced cannot be changed to paraphrase James Baldwin. O faithful people, may God open our eyes and open our ears to see and hear all of the fathers and mothers, boys and girls in trouble in our land. And let this not be enough, and let us not be afraid. Let us become collaborators in the miracles that God can do through us to bring justice and lightness and livelihoods to all of God's beloved children. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.